So this morning I want you to focus on three actual areas of God's Word, Old Testament, and then in the book of uh, Acts, and then in the book of Revelation. And so in Zechariah, it's a minor prophet, you'll find it there, uh, getting towards the end of the Old Testament. I want you to settle down in chapter 1. And then in the book of Acts, I'll ask you to be looking at Acts chapter 3. And then if you have another bookmark, you can uh, go ahead and turn over to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2. So Zechariah 1, Acts chapter 3, Revelation 2. And we'll hopefully weave these together. There's a message theme or topic, if you will, for the message that God has put on my heart very hastily uh, this weekend. Then the title of the message is Return to Me, A Call to Revival. I think about a song that Casting Crowns, a contemporary singing group, sang that I liked a lot. It's powerful. It says, If we've ever needed you, Lord, we need you now. And I think about the state of our country. I think about the state morally, spiritually, of our culture. I think about the state of North Carolina. I think about the triad area. And I think about our church. If ever we've needed the Lord, we need Him now. We need a great outpouring of God's Spirit upon the body of Christ today. Not just for the sake of the church, but folks, it has national, world implications. Because I'm of the conviction that if God doesn't bring revival to the church, the body of Christ, there will be no great spiritual awakening that will stir the hearts of immoral, decadent, depraved, lost sinners and bring them to the light of the gospel where countless thousands of citizens of this nation who are living wretchedly in sin will miraculously find their lives transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it will change this country, folks. It will actually change the direction of the United States of America. I love this country. I'm a Native American. My people were greeting you all, selling trinkets to you when your ancestors came over. I love this nation. But we're in desperate times. And if ever we've needed God, we need Him now. And there are times in the Scriptures where you find God breaking in on, in history to speak a great word to His people to do a great work that would alter the course of history, if you will. And so I want you to focus this morning as we talk about this return to me. That's what revival is, ladies and gentlemen. Revival is for the church. It's for Christians. Don't be looking at your lost neighbor or, lo or your unsaved schoolmates or, or, or lost co-workers and saying, you know, you need revival. No, they're dead. They need salvation. 
But you need revival. I need revival. We who are alive in Christ, and we find the spiritual life beginning to wane from us, and we become distracted by other things, and our love is not fervent for Jesus Christ. We need revival. And that's that revival that will spark, I believe, the great spiritual awakening that will save this nation. If there is no great spiritual awakening, I believe this nation is doomed. I don't think there's any hope. And so, as we look at Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, he's a contemporary of Haggai. He's also a contemporary of great men of God like uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. The time period is about 520 B.C. This would be the post-exilic stage of history for the nation of Israel. They've already been conquered by the, the, the Babylonian Empire. We'll talk about that. They've been taken back into Babylon. Young men, uh, Jewish men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a whole generation have lived in exile in a very foreign pagan land because God had brought judgment upon the nation of Israel. But just as God promised through the prophet Jeremiah, after 70 years of, of, of captivity, God allowed his people to return to the promised land. But things don't look too promising. As they go back, as, as Ezra goes back with a group, Nehemiah comes with a group. As they begin the task of beginning to rebuild, imagine, walk, just, just imagine having been conquered as a nation and taken into some foreign country. And 70 years come back and as the ferry comes up to the Potomac River and unloads us, and we look and the Capitol building is absolutely in rubbles and the White House is destroyed and Washington has been bombed into a crater and there's smoke and debris. Not very encouraging scenario to walk into, yet that's what those Jewish exiles found themselves facing as they made that long trek back from Babylon to Jerusalem. They didn't see the glorious holy city of David with those massive walls and, and monstrous good wooden gates shielding that blessed city. They didn't see the, the massive, beautiful, awesome temple of Solomon that they often would be able to go and worship God. It had all been destroyed. Laid waste. And they're back. And God is speaking to these people. His people. They're still His people. They're descendants of Abraham. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And God's got a word for them. Because even as they are attempting to rebuild the city walls, as they're attempting to begin the reconstruction of the temple, things aren't going so good. They're being taunted by jealous neighbors. Even Jews who were there before they got to come back, some of the strays or stragglers were there, still there. They, they, they're causing trouble and disagreeing with them. They, there's division amongst them. They, they begin to infiltrate amongst some of the pagans around, marrying some of the pagan wives. They're not worshiping and carry on the, 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 the sacrifices that God had stipulated in the law. 
There's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. Even in the midst of this depression scenario. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the Lord's warning to his people. Look in Zechariah chapter 1, if you would, begin in verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. You could stop there for a second. God has given a warning. Needless to say, He's not telling the people anything that they don't already know. But through His prophet, God is reminding His people that He is a just and a holy God. And when His people who are called by His name choose to turn from God and, and, and to enter into rebellion and sin against God, God had warned their forefathers. He had warned them. Prophet after prophet after prophet, time after time after time, God called out to the Israelites and said, turn from your wicked ways, repent. And they turned a deaf ear to God's prophets and then God had no other choice but to exact his judgment upon the nation of Israel. And that's when the Babylonians stepped in. Oh, listen, as they're standing in the midst of the ruins of that blessed city, God is reminding them, those ruins remind them that God's anger will be poured out upon his people. Their, far, far, their forefathers made the mistake of ignoring God's prophetic warnings. And God is saying, don't you do the same thing. Don't you fall into shameful, sinful ways and reap the consequences of God's wrath again. And the ruins reminded them, not just of a, of a broken city, but the ruins were a tangible, physical, symbolic reminder of a very broken relationship. And God is saying to the people through Zechariah that I... The Lord was very angry with your fathers for their sin. And the relationship between Israel and God is broken. And there's only one cure for that. And so as they deal with the presence of sin around them, Zechariah is God's spokesman. Now holding your place in Zechariah chapter 1, I want to do a parallel. I want to... If you had your fast forward button on your Bible and you could just fast forward into time, kind of like Back to the Future, the movie. Going, going back into the future now, going to the future, some 600 years into the future, after the, the birth and the ministry, the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves at Acts chapter 3. And we know that in Acts chapter 2 was the day of Pentecost. Jesus has ascended into heaven at the right hand of God the Father. He's told his disciples to go back to Jerusalem and to wait. And, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those, those uh, disciples or apostles of Jesus Christ. And there was a phenomenal working of the Spirit of God upon that group that, that attracted so many people into the church. And then you may recall that in chapter 3 when Peter and John were going to the temple with some of the other apostles, they encountered a lame man and this man had been lame from, from birth, if you will, and, and Peter healed him miraculously. This man had never walked in. Peter gave him the ability. No, Jesus gave him the ability because Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And so in chapter 3 and verse 11, if you'll look with me there, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and I guess if I'd just been healed for the, uh, of, he, uh, of, of, of being able not uh, being able to walk, if I, if I was able to walk for the first time in my life, I, I guess I'd be hugging on to the man that was instrumental in making that great miracle possible. So as he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to, the, to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's. And they were greatly amazed. And so Peter has a word from them there at that place of miraculous healing. He confronts the people, first of all. He confronts. Remember, these are the Jews, many of them who participated in, in crying out for Jesus' crucifixion. Many of them made the decision to reject Christ and receive instead, when Pilate made the offer, who should I pardon? Should it be this man, Jesus, or a known criminal by the name of Barabbas? A murderer. And they said, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Many of them were right there gathered around the porch because they were drawn by this great miracle. And Peter could have just given, given them one of those sugar-coated messages and said, you know, if you want to be you know, part of the church, this is the, what we're going to do. This is the procedure for being a part of the new church and all of that. But listen to what he said, beginning in verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let, let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And His name, through faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has, has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance and as did your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has also fulfilled. You know, God had a message for the Jews, just like the first century Jews, just like he had a message for the Jews in that sixth century B.C. through Zechariah. God had a message through his apostle Peter to the people, the Jews of, of the first century. And it wasn't that God was saying, I'm, I'm washing my hands of you, which he could have justifiably done. He could have said to the whole rebellious crowd, look what you did to my son. How dare you think that I would ever want to have anything to do with you. I'm washing my hands of you. God had every right to exercise angry justice towards the people, but instead he extends a hand of restoration. He confronts them first with their sin. Now I can just see Peter, the apostle Peter, that former fisherman. I can see his crusty fisherman face. You know how those fishermen are. They're not as refined and, and, and delicate as golfers. You know, got that crusty, tough look about them. I can see old Peter standing up there looking out at these Jewish 
the Pharisees, the scribes, and, and, and the Sadducees, and the, all the ones that watched and stood and jeered at Jesus hanging on the cross. And he's looking down with steely eyes, and he's piercing even through their hearts. And he's saying, you're the one. You're guilty. He's not letting them off the hook. But then he's got more to say. Because you see, not only is the Lord giving a warning to His people, but the Lord is also making a merciful call to His people. I want you to understand, against the backdrop of the anger of God, folks, make no mistake about it, God is a wonderful, gracious God of love. He loves everybody. God loves sinners. How do I know that? Because I'm a sinner. I was a lost, depraved, wretched sinner. And yet God loved me. He didn't start loving me when Charlie Martin cleaned up his act and chose to become a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, God loved me before that. How do I know that? Because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross long before I could even call His name. God is God of love. But let me tell you something. He's a just God. He hates sin. God will bring judgment upon sin. He does it now, and He will do it ultimately one day at the great white throne of judgment. But this same God, whose love, whose, whose, whose justice stirred up His wrath towards sin, and He warned the people, don't mess with me. <laughs> I'm God. And I hate sin. And if you choose to stand over on the side of sin, then you stand in the path of the angry, just wrath of God. However, on the other hand, God says, I have another message for you. It's a call. It's a call to turn to God. So as we go back to Zechariah chapter 1, let's look further. Remember, God just said in verse 2, the Lord's been very angry with your fathers. Not too happy with you because of the sin that you're practicing now. Your lack of faith and your lack of obedience. They stopped building on the temple. They stopped building on the walls. Got discouraged. They got distracted. And God is saying, Dave, don't forget the anger that I, I exhibited towards your forefathers. You sin, you might experience it. But he says, look at verse 3. Therefore, Say to them, God is saying to Zechariah, say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, and when the name that is used there, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, that's a mighty name. The Lord of hosts, the mighty God, the almighty God. He's the commander of all of creation. He's the one that has victory over every adversary. The strength of God. And he says, tell them that the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, says, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. And God has a message through His prophet. He's calling the nation of Israel, even though they have strayed in sin, even they are descendants of wicked, apostate sinners, their forefathers, even though it runs deep in their veins, God is saying to them through the prophet, I'm calling you back. That's what God is saying. Return to me. Repent. Return to me. And look what God says. And I will return to you. It's called reconciliation. 
And it comes through repentance. And to repent of their sins against God individually and as a nation. God has given them an opportunity. God has given them an opportunity to be restored. And he's calling upon his people to return to him in honest, open confession and through humble obedience. We can say to the Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry. I know during our time of confession, I appreciate the fact that our church sets aside time in our worship service for all of us. Give, you know, you, you, we can't twist your arm and make you confess your sins, but I'm going to tell you something. I feel better. I look forward to the opportunity. I don't want to dare come before the Holy Word of God in, in the presence of the, of the very Holy Spirit of God and attempt to worship Almighty Heavenly Father God when I know that I've got sin. I want to confess it. I want to come clean. And repentance is dependent upon that kind of open confession. And so God has given them an opportunity to avoid the wrath of God, to avoid the anger of God, to experience something more wonderful. And it comes through this repentance. God is issuing a call to return. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. And then as we go back to Acts chapter 3, likewise, through the apostle, you find God issuing a, 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 what I think is a phenomenal offer. When God could have said to the Jews who, who were responsible for orchestrating the, the, the death of his precious darling son, God could have said, that's it, stand back, Peter. I'm going to fry every last one of them. And they would have been justified in doing that. But in chapter 3, verse 19, look what Peter says. He's saying, he's issuing a call from God. He says, repent therefore. Repent. And you all have talked about what it means to repent. It doesn't mean just to be sorry for your sins, ladies and gentlemen. You can confess your sins to God and you know what? If you don't do anything other than that, you'll go back into sinning. God's looking for a little bit more than simply you saying, oh Lord, I'm remorseful, I'm sorry. I, you, you, know, you know what I've done, Lord, I'm sorry. Remorse is, has a part to play in it, but it doesn't stop there. Repentance means an absolute 180 degree turn. If you're walking in the direction of sinful behavior, sinful attitudes, sinful relationships, then you need to turn your back on it. And Peter is saying to the Jews, don't continue along the pathway of hard-hearted, stiff-necked rebellion against God, but turn around. Turn from the devil, turn from the world, turn from your wicked ways, and turn back to God. That's a pretty amazing offer that God makes, I think. God exhibits his mercy when he calls to the people of Israel to repent and to come back to God. God also is merciful not only to the 6th century Jews, 1st, 6th century B.C. Jews, 1st century A.D. Jews, but God's also merciful to the 1st century church. Christians. How do we know that? Well, in Revelation chapter 2, I ask you to maybe find your way over there. Jesus, through the Apostle John, speaks to seven churches in letters that we know of or in the book of the Revelation. And I want you to listen carefully as the Lord also makes a similar call. Because you know what? Churches aren't perfect. Christians aren't perfect. We may set out on a good course of 
of, of attempting to live our lives for the Lord and to be faithful to the Lord, and we get distracted, or we backslide, or we engage in sin, and God's got a word for the church. In chapter 2, I'm not going to read all the letters, I just want you to summarize. I want you to see a pattern here. First, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 there, God is talking to the loveless church. The church at Ephesus that had left their first love. And I, look, I want you to look. God, you know, the Lord confronts them for their, their, their lack of love. But in verse 5, he says, Remember, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Folks, that can apply to some of you here today. Maybe there was a time in your life when you first came to know Jesus Christ and made a commitment to follow Him and you were passionately in love with the Lord and it was shown through the way that you did your Bible study and you prayed and participated in worshiping God and you were faithful and obedient to the Lord. Oh, you love the Lord, but that love has grown cold and God's got a word for you. He said in verse 5 to that church, Remember therefore from whence you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now watch the pattern there. To the compromising church, the church at Pergamos in verse, verse 12, chapter 2. Again, he confronts them because they have been compromising with the, with the world around them and sexual immorality and, and, and the breaking of the law. And, and so God is, is, is uh, Christ is confronting them. Look at verse 16. To the compromising church, the Lord says, Repent or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. To the, to the corrupt church, the church at Thyatira, beginning in verse 18, God says, that, uh, Christ is saying through John, He says, You know you have in your presence, in verse 20, He says, You have in your presence a Jezebel. I don't know if her name was really Jezebel or if that was just a caricature of the uh, wife of Ahab, that wicked pagan uh, queen. And, but anyway, she was a false prophetess, if you will. She was leading uh, people astray in the church there at Thyatira. In verse 21 there in chapter 2, the Lord says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. She did not repent. So the Lord is basically saying, hey, in case some of you are thinking about following her, just be put on notice. She's doomed. Don't you be too. Separate yourself from such a wicked and moral person. But you notice, the Lord gives a call. A merciful call. He could have abandoned them. The minute that they began to lose their love, the minute that they became compromising, the, the minute that they became caught up in sin, the Lord couldn't say, you know, I'm done with you. But He calls His people, return to me. Repent. In chapter 3, we look at the beginning in verse 1, the church of Sardis, which is the dead church. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and what? Repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You see the pattern. In verse 14, chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, we know it as the lukewarm church. Again, God says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Listen, God issues a call if you stray from the Lord. As a part of the 21st century church, God's got a word for us too. He's calling us. Look at yourself. Examine yourself. Know where sin is in your heart, in your life. If there's sin in the corporate body of the church, there's one solution for it. Don't 
Put your head in the sand. Don't rationalize it. Don't excuse it. Confess it. And when you confess it, turn your back on it. Repent of it. Come back to the Lord. So we see the Lord's warning to His people. We see the Lord's merciful call to His people to repent, to return. And finally, I want you to see the Lord's gracious promise to His people. You know, it's interesting, the name Zechariah, and there are a lot of Zechariahs in the Bible, but the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And when you're straying from the Lord and you're caught up in the things of of, of the flesh and the world and strayed and compromised and you've lost your love and zeal for the Lord and you're out there in the darkness let me tell you something the Lord remembers you may have forgotten the Lord but I promise you dear friend he never forgets you he remembers you and he's calling you to remember and when you remember and when you repent and you turn to come back to the Lord and, and cleanse yourself through confession and repentance and make a determination to, to come running back to the Lord, then the Lord has a gracious promise to offer to His people. As we go back to Zechariah again, as God is addressing through the prophet Zechariah those people that were there in the 6th century, the post-exilic Jews there in the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. He says in verse 4, Do not be like your fathers to whom the, uh, the former prophets preach, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your wicked ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me. God says, Don't do that. The Old Testament message for the people of God for revival is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, when God says, and this is what it means to be revived, Old Testament, New Testament. This is a formula that God has given because God is a gracious God. He's a patient God. He's a loving God. And He knows His people will stray from Him from time to time. God gives us that, that instruction. He says in, in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people... He's not talking about lost. He's not talking about pagans. He's not talking about heathens. He's talking about His people. And so he says, if my people who are called by my name, folks, the name of God is holy. The name of God is righteous. The name of God is high and lifted up to have the name of God. It's a significant thing. And God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. I was just laughing talking to Sister Sherry and Brother Derek talking about this thing about pride, you know, and being humble. We were laughing about that old country song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And uh, I know that doesn't strike a nerve for any of you that are not country fans. And, but anyway, um, that's something to live your life by, right? But, uh, but you know, well, there's a lot to be said when God says humble yourself because God understands that pride is the major barrier between Him and His people. So often... We want to let our pride get in the way as if we can say to God, oh, listen, Lord, I know what I'm doing. I got it under control. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Folks, you got to pray. You got to communicate with God. And prayer is the vehicle by which God gives us to come before Him, to open up our hearts individually in your prayer closet, but also as a family you can pray. As a church family, we definitely should pray. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and 
turn and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Seek his face, turn from your wicked ways, and then here's the promise of God. Has God ever broken a promise? Never has. Never has. Will he? Never will. Never will, because he's God. And his promise is, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked deeds, he says, I will hear from heaven. You'll never have a time. I don't care how far you fall in sin and how far you stray from the fellowship with the Lord. You'll never have a time that you call out and cry out to God and he'll turn a deaf ear or he'll give you a busy signal. God says, if you do these things, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sins and I will heal your land. Oh, Lord knows we need healing in our land today. I like the promise that God gives to His people in the Old Testament, but it also pertains to us in Lamentations 3.22. In Lamentations 3.22, He says, because of God's faithful love, we do not perish. You understand that? You know what's between you and me and our perishing for eternity in the eternal fires of hell? It's called the love of God. And it's a faithful love. You can depend upon the love of God. And God, and, and His Word gives that promise, because of God's faithful love, we will not perish, because His mercies never end. Morning by, they are new, morning by morning. Isn't that great to know? I mean, really, you'll never come to God in confession and repentance, brokenness and humbleness before the Lord. You'll never come before the Lord in brokenness and true repentance and God said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I've had a run on mercy lately. I just, I'm, I'm not giving out mercy anymore. No, His mercies are new every morning. You don't get leftovers, ladies and gentlemen. God gives you new mercies every day. I need His mercy every day. What about you? <laughs> the older I get, and I just turned 65, I know that shocks and surprises all y'all looking at me, but the fact is, <laughs> hey, sometimes when I go to jump out of the bed, and I mean jump out of the bed, my body says something different. And so I said, oh, mercy. <laughs> I'm speaking more physically than I'm spiritually at that time. <laughs> but, but I know, I know, I'm a sinner. There's no doubt about it. Just like taking your hand off the steering wheel of a car that's out of alignment. It's going to go off the road. Listen, I know when I uh, don't have God's hand on my steering wheel of my heart and my soul, I know I'm bound to stray. I say, oh Lord, I need your mercies this morning. Go ahead and give me a dose right now because I guarantee you before I hardly get out of the house, I'm going to need some mercy. Wow. The Lord always provides a way of reconciliation for His people. You know, it breaks my heart when I see people who get all bent out of shape and angry with the people and, and, and you know, maybe family members or maybe friends and they, they don't want to forgive them. And they'll carry a grudge and be bitter towards them all for the rest of their life. I've seen people go to the grave with unforgiveness in their heart and you know what? You can tell it all through their life. See the bitterness there. Don't be that way. But thank God we have a God who doesn't function that way. He's a God who is gracious and ready to forgive. That's why he said to Zechariah to say to the people, return to me, just return to me, come back to me. God says, oh, you won't have to come and bang on my door. You won't have to stand at the window and beg me. God says, you return to me and you'll find me like the father of the prodigal son running to embrace you. 
Aren't you glad we serve a Lord like that? This is the God that issues this wonderful promise. As we go back to Acts chapter 3, Peter had a promise, or God gave a promise through Peter. Remember, these are the Jews, that first century Jews that had just betrayed his son, turned him over to Pilate, saw and, and arranged for the crucifixion of the, the, the Son of God. And yet, and yet in, in chapter 3 of Acts, Peter says, repent therefore, but look what he says. Here's the promise of God. And be converted. And be made like us. You can't tell me those Jews weren't standing there looking at those Christians and they could see that they're different. There's something about them. They've got something about them. There's a power about them. There's a, a confidence about them. There's a peace about them. And Peter is saying, God is not only calling you to return to Him, but He's saying, I will transform you. I will change you into brand new people. In Christ Jesus, He says, repent and be converted that your sins be blotted out. Didn't the Bible say, didn't God say in the Old Testament there, I separate, I'll separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and posts a sign, as Corey Ten Boom said, saying, no fishing. When God forgives you of sins, don't, we, don't you be looking for them in the past. Don't you go back there searching for them. The devil will try to. But let me tell you something. When God says he blots something out, he blots it out. Erased. Peter says, can you imagine? You don't have to keep offering blood sacrifices. You don't have to keep coming back on the day of atonement. You don't have to continue to live in, in guilt. Because God blots out your sin. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter's speaking prophetically. He said, not only will the Lord forgive you of your sins, He'll blot out your sins. Not only will He miraculously, supernaturally transform you to be, become the children of God, not only will He blot out and erase your sins forever and ever, but He says, listen, He's going to give you a promise. There's coming a time. The same Jesus that you crucified, that you had a hand in, 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 in rejecting, God says, uh, Peter says, Jesus is coming again. He's going to set up a kingdom on this earth. It will be a time of refreshing. You won't have to live with the presence of sin because in that millennial reign of Christ there, it will be like a fresh breeze blowing on a hot, sultry, sunny day, summer day. Like a cool drink of water when you're parched. And let me tell you something. There are a lot of people that are spiritually thirsty. There are a lot of people who are thirsting to death around us. They're drinking of the world and they're drinking of the things of materialism and the flesh and they think they can quench their spiritual thirst. But let me tell you something. There's only one way to be quenched of that spiritual thirst. It's called the living water. And Jesus says, I am the water. And to come and drink from the fountain. And that's what Peter's saying. There's coming a, war, a wonderful, marvelous day of refreshing where there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more apostasy and there'll be no more uh, effects of sin. But there'll be a day of, rejo of rejoicing and refreshing. Hallelujah. What a promise. Is God not merciful or what? <laughs> but God has a promise to the 21st century church today too. He issues a call just as He did to the 6th century B.C. Jews, to the 1st century Jews, to the first century churches 
in Revelation. God's got a word for the church of the 21st century. And oh, if we've ever needed a word from God, we need it now, brothers and sisters. God's got a word to the church and he's, he's given us a warning from his word. He's also extended a merciful call to us from his word to the 21st century church where Christians are more interested in making money than they are about making disciples. God's got a call that he's issuing to us. He issues a call to the church that is practicing unrepentant sin where members are sitting in the church pews and, 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 and going through the motions of worship and yet there's unrepentant sin in their hearts that serves as a barrier between them and God. God has a call. He's got a word for the church today. And so many of God's people today in the 21st century, people who call themselves Christians and yet they have the audacity to turn their backs on the standards of godliness and, and, and righteousness that God is calling and expecting of His people. Listen, God's not giving up on us. He's got a word for us. He's, got a, he's issuing a, a merciful call to us today. And so many of God's people, people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, have somehow converted the, the very great commission of Jesus Christ into something that resembles more, a great suggestion. God's got a call that He's issuing to the church today. And when they see, when, when the Lord looks upon the church today and He sees that the church is more influenced by the secular world around it than it is influencing the sinful world around it, God's got a call He's issuing to the church of America today. You see, we are as a, as a nation, we are as a state, we are as the church today suffering from a spiritual, a devastating spiritual drought. And yet God's not giving up on us. He's issuing a call to us to, today. And that, that call is return to me. God lovingly, mercifully is calling to Christians. If you've lost your first love, if you've strayed in compromise and sin, if you're caught up in the things of the world, if you've abandoned your commitments to me and you're not following me like you used to, God is saying, return to me and I will return to you. And that's the call that God has given to His people down through the centuries and He continues to give today. As I mentioned, our North Carolina Baptist State Convention is meeting in Greensboro beginning tomorrow night. I just have a sense that God is going to do something powerful and very needed in the life of North Carolina Baptist from Mandio to Murphy. I pray that He will. It's interesting because in the biblical record, and I know some of you have been reading the Baptist State paper, but you'll find over the past couple of months they have been broadcasting, they have been publicizing. There's no lack of knowledge among Southern Baptist churches in North Carolina that there is a call. God is issuing a call to Baptists all across this state, and the call is return to me. Return to me, God is saying to His people. Before it's too late. Before it's eternally too late for so many lost and depraved sinners out there before it's too late for the church to experience the power of revival before it's too late for our nation to experience that great spiritual awakening that will save our lives literally and Tuesday evening from 6.30 to 8.30 we are calling together North Carolina Baptists 
from all across this state to do something that is unprecedented in the 30 plus years that I've been attending the North Carolina Baptist State Convention. Well, I don't think we've ever done this where we set aside a whole session of our, Southern, our North Carolina Baptist State Convention and dedicate it purely to prayer. We're calling it broken before the throne. Folks, this is the only way that we can respond to the call of God. And God is looking to us as North Carolina Baptists beginning right here at Cornerstone to return to Him in brokenness over the presence of sin in our personal lives, the presence of sin in our family life, the presence of sin in our church life. God is saying, stop tolerating that. Stop making excuses for it. Stop allowing yourselves to drift with the current of the culture around you and turn around and come back to me in brokenness and in repentance and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and begin to be and function and live and practice as a godly people again. Because the world needs us desperately whether they want to admit it or not.